Well, amen, amen, amen. Aren't you glad you serve a God who is alive? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm excited to continue on looking at this theme of the Good Shepherd. Of course, we're going to be again in John chapter 10, John chapter 10. And we're going to be looking now, kind of picking up where we left off. We're going to be walking all the way to verse number 18, verse number 18. Now, if you want to hear the rest of this whole series, uh, you can go to our uh, church website, connectalgiers.com, where you can hear uh, this uh, several-week series we were in. We walked and took several weeks to walk through John 10 uh, and then ended with Psalm 23. And so if you're in need of encouragement, uh, I would encourage you to check that whole series out uh, as all of it is there on our website. In John chapter 10... Starting in verse number 11, the word of the Lord says this to us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock. One shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Amen. You know, a phrase I used to say a lot growing up was this. And I would ask my friends this often. It would be this common phrase where we used to say to one another, you good. Now, it simply means you good. It's almost like it has so many different connotations. You good could mean, are you okay? You good could mean, do you need money? You good could mean all sorts of things. In fact, you good could be used in a positive or negative sense. It makes no sense, but you just know it when you know it. But when you think about this idea of good, what does God mean when he says good? In fact, Jesus himself said he was good. The Bible clearly talks of God being good. And when we think of God's goodness, it's very much who he is. It is his character. The Lord is our shepherd, and he is a good shepherd and only does what is good. He gives us no reason to question his goodness. Even when life is hard, his character never changes. When life is hard, God is still good. The reality of God's goodness, and really he gives us no reason to ever doubt the goodness of who he is, to doubt his very character. And if Jesus is the good shepherd, then we can trust him in this life and the life to come. 
Now, we walked through verses 1 through 10 earlier, and the main point we saw was that Jesus is the door. He is the way we come in and out. That he is the one who is the true shepherd and makes way for the sheep to come to him and find good pasture. And as we look at verses 11 through 18, we'll see that Jesus makes it clear that he is, without a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, the good shepherd. He is the one who has come from the Father and lays down his life for the sheep. So as you look at verses 11 through 13 first, we see this very first point. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Now, lest we forget where we find ourselves, remember Jesus in chapter 9 has just healed a man born blind. And the Pharisees have rejected this man's testimony about Jesus. Remember, Jesus came for those who are sick, who are in need of being made well. And he makes it very clear who he is. Remember, this is in relation, and Jesus is talking about good shepherd, the good shepherd versus the evil shepherds who had come in and instead of caring for God's sheep, they misused them. Instead of pointing them to the good shepherd, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, they instead were saying Jesus was not who he says he is. So in contrast to these bad shepherds, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And this idea of good is in relation to that which is positive of moral quality with the implication of it being favorably valued, praiseworthy. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying, and the Pharisees knew what he was saying as well. This word kalos, good here, is used to describe the role of Jesus in the context of him laying down his life. This is why he can say, I am good. I am the one who does what no other will. I will willingly lay down my life. This implies this idea of goodness more than just a general meaning of being good. But no, this is deeper. Our Lord's goodness, as Warren Wiersbe says it, our Lord's goodness was inherent in his very nature. So, listen to this, to call him good is the same as calling him God. Now, don't ever let anyone tell you Jesus did not proclaim himself to be divine. When Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. Remember in chapter 9, he says, I am the light of the world. It would drive them crazy. Because why do they often pick up stones to stone him? And we, you can read it at the very end of this chapter. It's because he proclaimed to be God. And what does this good shepherd do? Well, we can look in the Old Testament and look at the next verses and see exactly what Jesus is saying here. In Isaiah 40, verse, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. So what does the good shepherd do in relation to false teachers or evil false teachers? Well, the good shepherd lays down his life. For who? For the sheep. This is why he is so good. Now this is an important point because we see the tenderness and love of the shepherd who cares for his sheep. Many times we struggle with God's goodness, not because we don't believe it by faith, but because we're having emotional moments that cause us to doubt God. Think about it, we're all human. 
You may wake up tomorrow with an ache and a pain. You may wake up tomorrow morning, something bad happens, and emotionally you begin to say, can I really trust that God is good? This is why we don't live by emotion. This is why we live by faith. This is why we take our emotions and bring them under the authority of the God who loves us. This is why we must be practitioners of 1 Peter 5, 7, casting our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. Understand when it says casting, it's literally you're picking up whatever issue you're having. You're picking up whatever you're going through, and you're literally throwing it at the Lord. No, he is good despite what we may feel. Why? Because we see his tenderness and love for his sheep because he's the one who cares for his sheep. And this is love that is shown in his action towards the sheep. This is not some effeminate Messiah, but this is one who loved to the greatest. One who is not tame, but he is good. See, his comparison is to another. And we see in the text there, he talks about this hired hand. Verse 12, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf. So the hired hand worked on behalf of the shepherd. But that's the thing. The hired hand was just hired to work for the shepherd. These were not his sheep. They will belong to someone else. So what does he say about the hired hand? When the hired hand sees a wolf coming, they run. Now, I've never encountered a wolf in the wild. I don't plan to. <laughs> I have seen wolves in the zoo before. Wolves are big. I don't know about y'all. Wolves are, and I'm already short. You already know. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something. Black folks run for anything. I will for sure be running from. When you see something dangerous, you run the other way. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's giving us a contrast from the lesser to the greater. The false teachers, those who truly don't love the sheep, they run away from danger. Look at the difference. He runs towards it. The hired hand is not personally invested, nor does he know the sheep. But the true shepherd knows them by name. Even in the New Testament, it tells us be wary of hired hands or hirelings. The hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. The wolves in Scripture represent false teachers and look at what false teachers do. They run and allow the sheep to be scattered. And the false teacher does not care for the sheep. In Acts 20, 29 through 30, the apostle Paul, when talking to the, uh, the uh, Ephesian elders, he tells them very clearly. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's essentially parroting the same thing Jesus was saying in John 10. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. What does this look like? This looks like people who say they're speaking for God but spend an entire ministry career building names for themselves off the back of the people of God. Let me tell you all something, especially to our younger generation here. Just because you see bad practitioners of the faith does not change the truth of the faith. Amen. 
It just shows that these practitioners are actually not living out the faith. See, Christianity has two things going for them. You have orthodoxy and you have orthopraxy. You need both. Orthodoxy is saying we're solid in doctrine and truth. Orthopraxy says we actually walk out that faith. You see bad doctors who malpractice all the time. And what do you do? You don't throw away every doctor. You find ones that actually are practicing rightly. So to my young people who are saying, should I be in church? Should I go to find a good church with a good faithful pastor that actually stands for the shepherd? So in a church like this, you have that. And you're blessed with faithful men leading. Like the hired hand, our shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And this is not weakness. We have to be honest that Jesus is humble. He is tender. But I want you to hear this last part. He is dangerously good. See, many people, all they want to do is sing of the lamb. But he is the lion. And the lion cannot be tamed. He is dangerously good. That means his roar shakes the very foundations of our lives. But because he's the lamb, he is so good. He is so tender and loving and kind. And he knows you by name. And this is what he's saying here. I know my sheep by name and I lay down my life for them. You wake up tomorrow morning and you're wondering, does God love you? He showed you his love. How? By laying down his life. So the good shepherd then knows his own. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So Jesus continues to open why this parable of the shepherd and the sheep. And he, he says there were thieves and robbers, hired men who, who took, guess what? Look, they show that they truly don't care for the sheep. Yet he's the ultimate good. He shows his love by his very action for the sheep. First, we see Jesus says he knows and owns the sheep. I want you to think of this statement from the Lord and let it rest in your weary soul. I know my Oh, have you thought about that? The creator of the universe knows every part of you and willingly died on the cross for each one of us. What does it mean for the Lord to know you personally, to know you by name? The Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, he knew us and chose us in him. And this truth should humble our hearts. The most beautiful scripture of Jesus talking about his love and choosing his disciples in John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Titus 2, 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So we are bought with a price. He knows us by name. And now out of our salvation, we do the good works he's called us to do. When he talks about knowing and his own knowing him is deeper than some mental ascent. Notice how the Lord describes this knowing. He says, look, my own know me just as the Father and I know each other. 
First, we see a distinction here. We see God the Father and God the Son. We see this unity he's talking about here. The intimacy between the Father and the Son. As Jesus says, I and the Father are one. See, he's a son who reveals a father to those whom he desires. Matthew 11, 27 through 30 says it this way. All things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a statement that I think many times Christians are afraid to say in our culture. But if we're going to be people of the book, we have to boldly declare what I'm about to say. The only way to know God is through Jesus Christ, period. That is the, the only way. That means that Christians are making the bold claim. And what is the bold claim we, we're making? That there is no other way. Jesus Christ is the only way. Why? Because he says it right here that the only way you can know the Father is through the Son. So come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So where does this love lead to? The son laying down his life for the sheep. Yet what sheep? Remember, in the context we're talking about, the sheep pen he's talking to is Israel right now. Yet look at what Jesus says here. I have other sheep. Not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. I love this. If you go to the Old Testament first, you're going to see exactly what he's saying. In Psalm 86, 9 through 10, it says this, All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. Isaiah 11.10 says this, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. Now, the word nations there is the word goy or goyim. It's people, nation. It's pagan, heathen persons. It's a, a large group of people. Based on various cultural, physical, geographical ties, and extends to nations. God has always been a God for the nations, for every person. The gospel went to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Yet notice this, the other sheep who come in, what will they do? They will listen to his voice as well. See, you have to understand this. Jesus didn't come to have a Gentile pen and a Jewish pen. He died and rose again so that there may be one pen, one people, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Jesus doesn't get it wrong. We do. And so we can't blame the master because some of his sheep run rogue. And say, you know what, we, we only want this group, we only want that group. When he said, I died for all groups. We can see in our own country where even the high moral ideals of our constitution haven't always been lived up to through slavery and segregation and even abortion, all denying the Imago Dei. 
These deny human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. They all deny a human being is loved by God and have a right to know him as Savior. Yet here's the question, though. What do we do when the world we live in or the society we live in doesn't live up to the moral standards of the Bible? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We do the same thing that Christians have done for 2,000-plus years. We live as light. We live as salt and light, and we proclaim the one message that this world and every single person on it needs, Jesus Christ and him crucified. We continue to shine bright like stars in a crooked and perverse generation as the scripture tells us to. We continue to preach the message of Christ. We preach this message when the world system calls us phobic. When false teachers say the gospel is only for certain ethnic groups. When the focus is on getting wealth and so many other things. We continue to point people to Jesus Christ. I would say this, any message that says the gospel is not for all nations comes from a doctrine of demons. We as the people of God should say, no, the good shepherd has laid down his life for all people. The scriptures always taught that our God is a God for the nations. And so we want to remove every hoop, every hurdle, and we want to point people to Jesus Christ. You say, where? How do we know this? Well, John 3, 14 through 18, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, so that's everyone. Everyone, every ethnic group, every person of any background, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, so that, again, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. Everyone. Pas in the Greek. Anyone of totality. Anyone. Anything. This is what we Proclaim to the world. When the Bible says God loved the world, the cosmos, it has this figurative meaning there of people associated with the world system, those who are strange from God, people of the world. Understand this. Do you understand there's only two type of people in the world? Do you all know there's only two type of people in the world? All that we have, a, a myriad of ethnicities all across the world that God loves, there's really only two people groups. There are those who are redeemed and those who are not. And when the redeemed folks start acting as if their redemption was something that they, you know, God, you you really broke the mold when you saved me. (laughs) When you begin to be haughty about your salvation, you've misunderstood the gospel and you've misunderstood the shepherd. The redeemed begin to say like Isaiah, woe are we. People of unclean lips, Lord, but that you would save us. I remember before I became a Christian, I despised the church. I despised people because I was taught to hate people who didn't have the same melanin count that I had. And I remember like the Apostle Paul, if I could have persecuted the church, I would have. Because I I despised anything about God. 
But the Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians 5 that when you're born again, you no longer see God the way you used to, and you no longer see people the way you used to. So here's the thing. It doesn't matter if Grandma Loretha doesn't like this person or that person. Grandma Loretha is not the good shepherd. And for some of you, you need to stop being quiet while your family members just talk about folks that you fellowship with and take communion with and talk about them like they're a dog. I don't care who they are. If they are not in Jesus Christ and they're spewing something from the devil, you need to preach the gospel to them. You need to tell them straight up, oh, hold on, the Bible is clear. If you say you hate your brother, you hate God. Therefore, you're not born again. I know some people don't like that type of talk, but I've had to tell some of my family members that. Some folks who go to church every single Sunday, and they say, oh, you can't eat with white folks. You can't do this. Who says? Did Jesus say or did you say? Because if you're saying it, I'm not taking your opinion. I want to stand on the side of the Lord because if I can break bread with you in communion, I sure enough can break bread at your house. I'm not trying to start no mess. I'm just, I'm not. I'm going to be gone tomorrow. I'm not trying to start no mess. I'm just saying. Because some of us have been taught to only fellowship right here and not fellowship anywhere else. Let me get off of that, Pastor Ken. I won't get too much. I'm going to get off. I'm going to get off of it. Here we go. And I already stepped in it. There we go. As one commentator said, Jesus himself is not, going, is not seen going fully to the Gentiles, but he will bring the Gentiles into the flock by the ministry of his disciples, whom he will send. Jesus will continue his own ministry through his people, which will be accomplished through the presence of the Spirit. They're the ones who will bring the Gentiles. But Jesus is saying it himself. He's saying what he's saying. He's saying, look, I am the one who's calling people to myself. And this is what we're called to follow as well. Why? Because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Look at this. This says, verse 17, this is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. Look back over the Old Testament, and you see the, the whole narrative that is showing us. In the Old Testament, we see the sheep dying for the shepherd. Yet think of this, the sheep dying for the shepherd had to happen over and over again. Yet Jesus says the true shepherd will die for the sheep. Think of the intentional love the shepherd has for each one of us. He knows our needs. He knows our wants. And the scripture tells us in him we shall not want. Why? Because he is a good shepherd. Notice the picture here. It is not the shepherd simply jumping off a cliff to kill themselves. Let's look back at the picture. There are wolves and danger all around. And what does a true shepherd do? 
His love for the sheep leads him to protect the sheep. He sees the sheep in danger of their lives, so he gives his life so that they may have life. Isn't that the gospel? That the, the good shepherd sees us cowering in fear under the fear of death, afraid of sin and, and in bondage and in slavery to it, and he loves us so much that he came to lay down his life so that his sheep could be set free. Amen. This is according to one commentator can actually read this way, because the Father loves me, that is the reason I lay down my life. The model of the Father providing the model for the Son, which in turn should provide the model for us as well. Jesus was not some helpless victim. He willingly laid down his life, but not just lay it down. He laid it down so that he could rise again. See, Jesus came to overcome death, hell, and pay the debt that we owe, the debt of sin. It was his perfect life and his obedience to the Father on our behalf. Understand this, the Jews didn't take his life. The Romans didn't either. He willingly laid down his life on his own. He is a lamb of God who is slain before the foundation of the world. In Hebrews 13, 20, it says this, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. See, we only needed his blood because the blood of bulls and goats were never sufficient. But yet his blood is efficacious, it's ever working. And how do we know the love of God? 1 John 3, 16, this is how we have come to know love. How? He laid down his life. You want to know what love is? That is love. He laid down his life for the unjust. The one who was good in every way laid down his life for those who could never be good. The Son revealed the Father to us. For no one, the Bible tells us, has truly seen God, but the one who has come from God, who had the authority to lay down his life and take it back up again. Well, only God could do something like this. And Jesus made it very clear in this statement. It is indeed implied what he's saying. I'm the good shepherd. I and the Father are one. They are unified. They have the same substance, power, and eternity. We see here the distinction as well between God the Father and God the Son. And when Jesus talks about this oneness of him and the Father, what is he saying? Well, he's very clear in it. Within this one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal co-eternal persons namely the father the son and the holy spirit the text is not arguing for a oneness of personalities but rather something of purpose and will the terms father and son refer to an eternal relationship they've had with each other and it's vitally important for us to understand this relationship has always been you ever thought about this where was jesus when the Red Sea was parted, right there. When Moses went up to the mountain and, and, and he saw the, the burning bush and, and God is speaking to him, where was Jesus? Right there. 
There's never been one point, there's never been one second where Jesus has never existed. He has always been and always will be. He says, I and the Father are one. When we speak of these divine persons as co-equal and co-eternal, the Father has eternally been the Father and the Son has eternally been the Son. And this is for us to hold on to. I love this as Hanegraaff puts it. He says, when speaking of the Trinity, we speak of one what, the being of God, and three who's, the three divine persons. Why is this so important? It's because even today, many are trying to take away the very divinity of Jesus. If you take away Jesus being God, if you take away him being God in the flesh, then we have no salvation. We have no salvation. Because it was only his sacrifice that was sufficient because of who he is. See, none of us could pay the sin debt. None of us could go to the cross and say, God, here I am, accept my sacrifice. Why? Because none of us are good. He is the one who is altogether good. In John 6, 38 through 40, it says this, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of these he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. We're singing that song, he is resurrecting me. And one day we will be with him in that resurrection. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you know that good shepherd today? Can you say that this is my God? And this good shepherd is the one whom I am following both now and will follow in death that you can truly rest, that he is good. And if he is good, then everything he says is good. Then everything he says, we must trust and follow. As I close, I want us to think about responding to this. Every person is in a different place. But this one question I want you to think through. How will you respond that Jesus is your good shepherd? Each one of us has a different response to this. Maybe for some of us it is now resting that I believe Jesus wholeheartedly and who he is and I surrender my whole life to him. Maybe for others it is saying that I don't just believe Jesus is the good shepherd on Sunday when I come to church, but I'm going to believe he's the good shepherd on Monday when I'm in my home. That I'm going to show my children the good shepherd. I'm going to lead them to the good shepherd. I'm going to lead my coworkers to know the good shepherd. And maybe for some of us it is now resting that I may not know how everything's going to turn out, but the good shepherd does. As we close our time, I want to encourage if you need to respond to the good shepherd. Don't walk away 
with the same burdens you came in with. Bring them to the good shepherd. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we know that there are those who need to respond in this moment. There are those who need to respond in a way that they need to humble themselves to say, God, I can no longer be God, but you're God. And I need to rest that you're the good shepherd. Lord, there are those who've been questioning and doubting your love for them. And Lord, maybe, Lord, their hearts have been hardened because of so many of the hard things they've been walking through in this life. Lord, maybe they need to respond once again to say, I trust you. And so, Lord, no matter where each one of us finds ourselves, we want to make the declaration, we need you as our good shepherd. God, we thank you that we can bring all our cares to you, and we can look to you because you don't run away. But Lord, you lay down your life only to pick it back up again. So, Lord, forgive us. Well, we've doubted your goodness. Well, we've doubted your love. And maybe, Lord, there are those who are in here, Lord, who are your sheep who feel like they have failed you to the point to where they don't even talk to you anymore. And Lord, as the good shepherd, you stand calling to them once again, saying, come. I lay down my life for you, my sheep, and I love you. Don't run away from the shepherd. Run to him again. Confess your need to him. God, we give you thanks and praise. If you need prayer, if you need anything, respond in this moment. Because I know there are those who would love to pray for you. In Jesus' name, amen.